Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation, as always, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Senior Governmental Affairs Advisor with Governmental Affairs U.S. here at UBS. So Shane, thank you for joining us on this Thursday morning. Looking forward to our conversation. Welcome back. Hey Dan, thanks for having me as always. So, Shane, we have a few items to catch our listeners up on, spanning geopolitics to developments here at home. So maybe beginning with geopolitics, I know tensions between the U.S. and Iran, they have escalated uh, this in recent days following a deadly drone strike on U.S. service members in Jordan. So curious as to who exactly carried out this attack, and as the U.S. prepares a response, how might this all escalate from here? It sounds like a very a delicate situation. Yeah, it is very delicate. So um, since we spoke uh, last week, uh, over the weekend, there was an attack in the the country of Jordan where three American personnel were killed. Um, And this was carried out by Islamic militants who are, are backed by Iran. And, you know, this is the first time since the Israel Hamas war broke out, you know, some five months ago that um, uh, U.S. Uh, troops have been killed by uh, Iranian proxies. And so, you know, obviously, as you and I have uh, regularly noted, you know, everything going on in the Middle East is a tinderbox and has a, um, um, a very a real potential to expand and cause, you know, um, greater impact, not only to the region, but to the global economy. Um, and this is one of those events. So what you're seeing happen right now is at least both Iran and the U.S. saying, you know, we don't want to go to war. Um, but, you know, President Biden is getting a lot of pressure to respond. And, and he and Secretary of State Blinken have said that the U.S. will respond uh, on, you know, their own time frame when they uh, find the suitable target. And I think that's uh, pretty important, you know, in um, events like this, they essentially uh, people who are in the defense industry will tell you that there's kind of an um, uh, escalator. You know, you, you try and have um, commiserate retaliation so that you don't continue escalating the event. So I think the U.S. will respond. I think they're going to be very specific to uh, try and respond to uh, these proxies and not go after Iran itself on mainland Iran, even though some lawmakers are pushing for that kind of response, because I think the U.S. is very, uh, uh, the Biden administration is very cautious about, um, you know, having this regional conflict grow even more. So um, this will be fluid over the next uh, few days, but um, I would expect the U.S. to respond soon. Well, helpful to have that clarity in terms of what the response might look like and when we might see that. So something here we'll keep a very close eye on. I do want to come back stateside, turn to Congress, as we recently have seen developments this surrounding House GOP efforts to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This over immigration, a southern border policy topics we've spoken about previously here on the podcast. So I'm curious, though, what would be the impact? implications of that outcome and impeachment, and how do you see this taking shape? Yes. So uh, Homeland Security uh, Secretary Mayorkas was um, 
uh, is the kind of uh, central figure here, obviously, that the impeachment is focusing on. Um, but it is, you know, in the context of the greater um, issue of uh, immigration and border security, right? You know, um, usually impeachments are for someone committing uh, a high crime or misdemeanor. Um, this kind of is a... Uh, a side of that, which, you know, Republican lawmakers are essentially saying he is culpable for failures at the border, which, um, you know, has led to things like deaths of fentanyl as fentanyl is being smuggled across the border. So, you know, uh, essentially saying, you know, his failures have led to American deaths. His failures have led to insecurity within the U.S. because um, there have been people on the terrorist uh, watch list who have come across the southern border. So uh, House Republicans are taking action. Um, they have through, moved through the committee process now a um, impeachment resolution. This passed um, by, on a strictly party line vote. It remains to be seen when and if this bill comes to the full uh, House floor for a vote. Um, you know, we have to keep in mind that Republicans have an extremely narrow majority in the full House right now because of um, uh, mid-cycle uh, retirements, resignations. So really, they have a majority of two people. And there are a handful of Republicans that are skeptical of this um, impeachment resolution. You know, they are kind of of the concern that this sends a new precedent, um, you know, in their minds, you know, while he may have be failing at uh, his, uh, his responsibilities to secure the border, that does not constitute a high crime or misdemeanor. So there, even within the Republican Party, this is not a slam dunk. So um, I do think this is part of a growing chorus from Republicans. Um, and, and, you know, this may eventually make it to the House floor. But even if it did, you know, keep in mind the Senate would have to uh, convict uh, Secretary Mayorkas for him to be, you know, ousted from his position. And that will not happen. So, you know, to some extent, this is political grandeur. Um, but it, I think it's important to Republicans for a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, like I said, keep it in the context of everything that's going on in the border negotiations on um uh, uh, an immigration bill, um, pressure to for uh, President Biden to use all his authorities to try and secure the border. So a lot going on here. But at the end of the day, you know, um, Secretary Mayorkas, you should not expect him to be uh, convicted of a high crime or misdemeanor and therefore no longer be the Secretary of of Homeland Security. Shane, thank you for the insight there. I do want to stick with Congress. We did see recently House Speaker Johnson did allow a vote for legislation. Uh, this aimed that tax breaks for both businesses as well as children. Now, we did see uh, last night a bipartisan vote uh, to pass this through the House. So for those who may not be familiar, Shane, what does the makeup of this bill consist of and how do you see this evolving now in the Senate? Yeah, that's right. So uh, this bill um, was is uh, bipartisan and with a notable bipartisan vote, but it was also negotiated on a bipartisan level with the Republican chairman of the House Ways and Means Tax Writing Committee and the Democrat chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, which is their uh, tax rating committee. So um, this package would expand the child tax credit 
um, to the benefit of millions of uh, American families. So uh, in return, you know, on the other side, there are a handful of business incentives. Um, I think there are three kind of notable ones. There's one for research and development, another for interest deductibility, and the third being full expensing. Uh, these three business uh, incentives would benefit a number of actually sectors, you know, from defense to telecommunications to pharmaceuticals. So, you know, the business community really rallied hard around this package um, and their support was pretty meaningful to getting buy-in from uh, Republicans who some were concerned that the um, provision for the child tax credit was too generous and didn't, you know, um, have enough uh, um, components to it to ensure that there are work requirements, et cetera. So, you know, like I said, this actually had a huge uh, bipartisan vote. It was 357 to 70. Um, and that 70 no votes was um, split between Republicans and Democrats. It wasn't just all one side. You know, there are concerns from both sides about this bill. But I think that strong bipartisan vote is very important to trying to get some momentum for the Senate to act. You know, um, we're looking at the Senate would need to pass it with uh, 60 votes, uh, which means it would have to be a strong bipartisan vote there, too. You have already seen some uh, lawmakers, uh, specifically on the Republican side, express concerns and um, are looking to make changes to the bill. Um, this is going to be a fluid process over the the coming uh, few weeks. Uh, we'll see if it gets across the finish line, but I think last night's vote was some good momentum, and we'll see if that push uh, helps. I would also note that there was a little uh, back and forth um, by New York uh, Republicans um, who saw this as their opportunity to stress their case on the state and local tax deduction with the Speaker, so they were able to um, exert a little bit of pressure on Speaker Johnson and, you know, they are now uh, getting to move a bill that would double the SALT limitation to $20,000 for married couples. Um, that bill will be going to the House Rules Committee today. We'll see if it advances. And then if it does advance to the Rules Committee, you know, we could see that bill on the floor next week. But I, I caution that I don't think this is going to become law. I don't think it, it will uh, pass the Senate, even if it passes the House right now. Um, but it is important for Republican lawmakers who are interested in this issue to keep up the drumbeat. You know, as, as you may know, Dan, this uh, specifically impacts um, taxpayers in high-tax states like New York, New Jersey, California, et cetera. So it's an issue to follow, um, and it was it's kind of, you know, not the main focus of that tax bill we were uh, that you asked about, but it is noteworthy as part of the process. It's interesting to hear about these moving parts. And as you mentioned, Shane, this is something we'll keep track of. It is encouraging, as always, to hear about these uh, bipartisan efforts coming together. So we'll see how this takes shape, though. Shane, as always, thank you for dropping by the podcast to spend some time with our listeners, our clients, uh, keeping them informed on a range of topics. And as always, do look forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Thank you, Dan. It's always good to join you. So much going on in Washington, D.C., so uh, always good to, to keep the communication open.
Definitely. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been speaking with Shane Lieberman, Senior Governmental Affairs Advisor with Governmental Affairs U.S. here at UBS. Before we close out, as always, I do want to point our listeners, our clients to the Washington Weekly publication, which can be found on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 